0: Very good, I appreciate uh, Ms. Jamie uh, doing that, and uh, she had to come up early, and her and Abby kind of put that together this morning, and uh, very thankful they did. It turned out well, and uh, in case anyone was wondering, Mary did know, so uh, I was just doing that real quick while she was singing, so the answer to all the questions, Mary, did you know, is no, yes, 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 no, no, yes, 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 so just in case you ever hear the song, that's the answer to all the questions. Um, Okay, just thought we'd get that out of the way. All right, well let's take our Bible here this morning and turn to Luke chapter number one. And uh, if you saw in the uh, the bulletin and see on the screen now where it says Luke chapter one and two, uh, those are very long chapters, and uh, we're not going to preach all of both chapters. But we're going to kind of take some selections out of both of those. And so, um, anyways, I just wrote down. Didn't want to put out each little piece. ...of where all we were going to be, but wanting to uh, take our time and our reading from Luke. So, if you found your place there, Luke chapter 1 is where we'll start. Let's stand together, if you're able to, um, in honor of the reading of God's Word. And again, just so very thankful that you've chosen to be here on this uh, Christmas Eve morning. And uh, whatever festivities you have planned today, tomorrow... Uh, throughout the holiday season here. Uh, I hope they're wonderful, and I hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas. All right, Luke chapter number 1, and uh, we're going to start reading there in verse number uh, 5. It says this, There was in the days of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Modern language. They're old. Okay? Verse number uh, 57. Let's jump down there. You might have to turn a page or two to get there. Still, chapter 1, verse number 57. Same story, it says this, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. Okay, Obviously between then and now, God's told him, hey, you're going to have a boy. Zechariah says, I don't believe you. So he says, fine, and you can't talk anymore. And he takes his voice away uh, and says, you won't be able to talk until the baby okay, uh, is born. So verse number 58 It says this, and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her, verse 59, and it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, 'Uh, there's none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John, and they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And the fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea, And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Jump over to chapter 2 and verse number 25. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord. Now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now if you notice in these verses, he says, God, I can die now. I've seen what you told me. Filling in the blanks here. He's old. Okay, jump down to verse number 36. Same chapter, Luke 2, verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age. Fill in the blanks. She's old, okay? And had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and night. And day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So I'd like to preach this morning on this, the elderly's first Christmas. If you're old this morning and you identify as old, I apologize. I'm not singling you out. But we have three characters in Luke chapter 1 and 2 that are of a greater age, the Bible tells us, and this is their first Christmas, and so I'd like to take a look at their first Christmas here this morning. May God bless you as well. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing in honor of the scriptures here this morning. There's a lot of stuff I love about Christmas. Um, I, I like Christmas food, Amen. Yeah, the, the desserts and stuff, and all the ham and... Everything else that goes along with it, praise the Lord, Amen. It's fantastic. I love Christmas lights. Uh, boy, I just enjoy driving around and people have their house decorated. I'm glad other people do it so I don't have to. <laughs> I enjoy driving around and our kids looking at Christmas lights. And enjoyed this year going with the church family and us driving through the prairie lights. That was a lot of fun. And uh, Christmas lights, decorations, just in general, not just Christmas lights, but just Christmas decorations. They're beautiful. I mean, of all the year of uh, decorations, Christmas is just a lovely time of year with uh, Christmas decorations. Uh, One big thing about Christmas is Christmas presents. Those are nice. Uh, Come on, who doesn't like receiving and giving gifts? Uh, You know, as a parent, it's a wonderful thing when you give your kids a gift and they're like super excited about it and you're like, nailed it, yes, you know. Uh, And then when they open the pack of underwear and they're like, yeah, okay, it's kind of, well, it was needed, you know, so, uh, but there's also receiving gifts, you know, Uh, I I still can remember and recall many Christmases uh, getting a gift that was just something unexpected or something that was just a blessing and just the, wow, this is awesome, a lot of great things about Christmas. But if I have to be really transparent and honest, one of my most favorite things about Christmas is the songs, I love Christmas music. Uh, usually, come we're we're kind of those people. Thanksgiving Day, after we eat the meal, then the Christmas music comes on. Uh, There's some weird people out there that start all the way back in October. For those of you that do that, may the Lord have mercy upon your soul. No, I'm just kidding. And then others are purists. They wait till December 1st, you know, and it's got to be the month of December. But uh, you love Christmas music. There's a lot of great songs that are out there uh, and Christmas music. But of all the Christmas music that's out there, apparently one thought it was the best because the actual title of the song is The Christmas Song. I mean, that's a little arrogant, I think, at least. You got all these great Christmas songs. You have this one that says, well, this is the Christmas song. It goes like this, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, jack frost nipping at your nose, yuletide carols being sung by a choir, and folks dressed up like Eskimos. We don't know much about that here in, in Texas, but uh, everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his way, he's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh, and every mother's child is going to spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. Then, of course, the chorus goes something like this. And so I'm offering this simple phrase. Do you remember what the simple phrase is? To kids from 1 to 92. Okay, if you're 93 this morning... Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. But if you're 93, you don't get a Merry Christmas, right? But Now, this is a song from kids from 1 to 92, right? Now, we're going to stand that out a little bit, regardless of your age. Merry Christmas, right? But the Christmas song uh, goes from age 1 to, to 92. Now, I uh, enjoy Christmas. The Christmas song there uh, kind of... Hones in on something, regardless of your age, there is something special about the Christmas season. Regardless of how old you are or how long that you have lived, there's just something magical and special about this time of year. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, a couple years ago um, in 2021, uh, my first couple months here, and we said, We're going to have a candlelight service. And the church said, Well, we've never done that before. And I said, well, we're going to do one this year. And it was awesome to have several folks in the church say that was the very first candlelight service they had ever in their entire life been a part of, and especially some folks that had been around a little bit longer. Uh, It was a blessing to experience that with them uh, for their very first time. So no matter how old you are, there's just something special about this time of year. But despite all the wonders about Christmas time, the songs, the food, the everything... What really makes Christmas magical is the Christmas story that Jesus was willing to come and die on the cross so that we could be saved, but before He could do that, He had to come and be born. And that really is the essence of what the Christmas story is all about. It is found in the very imagery of the manger scene. A babe wrapped in grave clothes, swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes are what they wrap dead bodies in. That's kind of weird, okay? Even the stuff that's brought to him, the gold and frankincense and myrrh, were very intentional. And one of those aspects of the myrrh was even used for embalming. And so there are gifts and there are imagery that's even found in his very birth that show that he came not to live, but came with the intent to die for the sins of all of humanity. Now, no matter how old you get, that should never lose its sparkle. That should never lose its joy. That should never lose the, 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 the great uh, passion of just being excited that that's the reality of what Christmas is all about. But can I tell you, sometimes familiarity robs us of the excitement. It can. And sometimes we've seen something so many times, and we've heard the story so many times, that it just becomes commonplace. It just becomes another run-of-the-mill story for us, and it loses all of the joy. So I'd like to point out here this morning three individuals, three characters who had lived a lengthy life, and then they got to experience their very first Christmas as older folks, and in their elderly ages, as they experienced Christmas, they experienced it with great joy and jubilation. And may I submit to you here this morning, whether your age is one Or beyond 92, you can also take great joy in the Christmas story, whether it's the first time you've heard it or the thousandth time that you've heard it. Now, the first character that we look here in Luke chapter 1 was that of Zacharias. Now, obviously Elizabeth as well, but Zacharias. So this is an interesting story. This is John the Baptist's father, and him and his wife, she is described this way, barren. Now that would have been a great mark of shame in their day that they were unable to have children. And so um, they're uh, uh, Levites, which means that they serve the duties of the temple, okay? Uh, If you read in the book of um, uh, Exodus, it talks about how the tribe of Levi is responsible for breaking down and moving certain pieces of furniture and for making the incense, and that's all of the tribe of Levi. Now obviously... The tribe's rather large at this time, and so there was a responsibility to light the incense in the temple every day, and so they kind of took turns, and it was a special honor. It was a really dignified thing. So a person's turn might not come up for multiple years for them to be the one, the guy, that goes in on that day and performs the priestly duty of lighting that incense and stuff. So it's Zacharias's turn And on that day, he goes in there, and he lights the incense, and then an angel shows up, Gabriel. Gabriel says, hey, you're going to have a kid, and you're going to name him John. And he's going to be a very important guy, because he's going to be the last prophet, and he is going to be one who is the forerunner, and the one who's going to present and prepare the way for Messiah. And you know Zacharias' response, right? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) They didn't believe him. And so God said, I'm going to give you a sign. Through the angel Gabriel, it says this, here's what the sign is going to be. You're not going to be able to talk. And so he comes out of the the temple, and everyone's like, oh, good, you did the priestly duty. And he's like, everyone's like, what is he doing? What did he just say? So they get him a writing tablet, right, and he starts writing. So for the whole pregnancy, you talk about a silent night, uh, Zacharias is unable to speak. And so it comes time for his son to be born, and John is born, and the way Jewish custom worked is on the eighth day they were to be circumcised, and so they brought John in for the circumcision at the the temple, and as they brought him there, that's when they would give the child their name. So that's when the naming would happen. At this time, Zacharias is still not speaking, so the people that are doing this, doing the circumcision, say, all right. You're supposed to give him the name Zacharias. He's going to be named after you. I mean, this is your only child of your old age. Man, God did this great miracle. How wonderful is this? And, of course, Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name's going to be John. And then, of course, uh, you have Zacharias here. They say, hey, are you okay with him being named John? And he writes out on the tablet and says, yes, his name will be John. Now, the name John there means this, Jehovah is a gracious giver. So even in the name, obviously God told them to do that, but understanding this, God gave them this wonderful child of their old age. Now, we didn't read it, but when God opens the mouth of Zacharias, he begins to talk about not only his son and and the joys there but he then is filled with the holy ghost and the remainder good portion of the remainder of chapter one is zacharias declaring what messiah is going to do he begins to speak about jesus christ and he begins to prophesy about all that he is going to do and all the wonders and blessings that are going to come about through jesus christ Whoa, 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 what's the significance of this? Zacharias realized, even through his own son's birth and what God had done, is that it was finally time for the incarnation that God Himself would dwell among men, and that first Christmas was going to happen. And if you read there in Luke chapter 1, what all he had to pronounce, he was fired up. He was excited about the fact that he was going to see this very first Christmas. Even at a great age, a mute spoke with joy about the coming of Jesus Christ. In chapter number two, there's another character by the name of Simeon. Uh, Simeon's a a cool character. Uh, He's an older gentleman that somehow God revealed to him. uh, I don't know exactly how it's revealed. It's not told in the scripture. But God told Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah. So before that happens, you will not die. Now, obviously, Simeon had lived some time because it lets us know, as soon as he sees Jesus and holds him in his arms, he says this, all right, I can go now. I I can die. And he was waiting for that coming of Messiah. He actually says that right there in verse number 25 of chapter 2, when it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that that phrase of waiting for the consolation literally means he was waiting for the coming of Messiah. He was waiting for God himself to come and indwell among men. Now, God told him, obviously, that he was not going to die, and now he is of a great age. Now, I don't know what all Simeon God revealed to him, or if he read it in the scriptures or what, but Simeon understood the plan of salvation And what Jesus was coming to do, probably better than anybody. Probably better than Mary, probably better than Joseph, probably better than any of these other characters that we talked about in the Bible. We say, why do you say that? Well, if if you read what he says in the text, we read it earlier there. He says this, that Christ is the one that's going to bring salvation. He also says that he was going to be a light to the Gentiles. I mean, Simeon, he understood this. Not only is Christ going to come, but he's going to give salvation to everybody. That, that was beyond his time, and God had revealed that to him. He also said this. He's going to be a glory to his people, Israel. It was through Abraham's seed that there was going to be a blessing of all the nations. And Simeon recognized and understood that that seed was not plural but singular. Jesus Christ is who all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Israel was going to receive glory through that. He recognized Christ would be the rising and falling of many. What does that mean? Simon said, this is going to be the rising and falling of many. Christ is a stumbling block. It's even that way today. Uh, Jesus presents one of two options. When somebody hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have one of two things that they can do with that. They can either receive it and accept it or they can reject it that's it there's there's no middle ground so when somebody hears the gospel the death burial and resurrection of christ when they hear the good news of the gospel they can either believe it and receive it or they can refuse it and reject it there's no middle ground it's one or the other and here's what simeon recognized even as he was holding this baby this will be the rising and falling of many That people all throughout human history are going to make a determination based on this little baby I'm holding in my hands. They're going to make a determination of heaven and hell, of life and death, of righteousness and unrighteousness that is wrapped up in this little ball of flesh that I'm holding. What a pronouncement, the rising and falling of many. He even looked at Mary and he said this, not only is this decision going to make a big difference in a lot of other people's lives, and it's going to affect a lot of people, but it's going to pierce your soul through. That, that prophecy didn't come from the angel that one day Christ was going to die and it was going to hurt Mary's very heart, her very soul, to watch her firstborn, watch him die on the cross. But Simeon's the one that looked and understood that. Man, I don't know what all God revealed to Simeon, but apparently it was a lot. Because here he is and he had been waiting for this. Now, I don't fully understand Simeon, but understand this for years now. That's kind of the context of the verse. For years now, God has revealed to him there's going to be this awesome individual that God is going to bring about. The God-man. He's going to bring salvation to the world. He's going to be this stumbling block, this this decision-making of life and death for so many. He is the Christ. He's a light to the Gentiles. He's going to be all of these things. And Simeon it appears, had been kind of hanging out around the area waiting for it every day. When's that baby going to come? Apparently not this week. He'd go back, and he'd go back, and he'd go back. Well, the Bible says he was waiting for the consolation. I don't know how long he had been waiting, but I get the idea it had been a long time. He had been looking forward to that. And now you got this older man who's been waiting, in my mind, decades probably for this individual to come studying the scriptures. He understands it so well that then they walk in with this eight-day-old baby, Jesus there to be named and circumcised at the temple. They walk in with this little baby, and God reveals to him that is the Christ. What a moment. What a moment. And here, you know, Mary you know, like we talked about on Wednesday night, she's probably about 16, 17 years old, somewhere right in there. And so here's Mary walking in with her little eight-day old baby, and here comes this feeble old man and grabs the baby and picks him up. I says he's holding him there, you know, and he says, The Lord's Christ and making all these pronouncements. I'm sure Mary at the first, like, what is going on? Right? What is happening here? And yet, in the midst of that, they all, not only Mary and Joseph, but all those that are hearing it, start to marvel at what's happening with Simeon. So not only do you have Zacharias, a man who was mute and spoke at the coming of first Christmas, the Messiah, but here you have a man who's been waiting for decades, and now he is pronouncing what he's been waiting for years to say, Christmas has come, God himself has veiled himself in flesh and is among us. Now, while that conversation is happening, the Bible tells us later in Luke 2 that there's a lady that's listening, and her name is Anna. Now, she's an interesting character. She uh, is 84 years old at this point. She got married uh, as a young lady. Seven years after she got married, her husband died, and she never got remarried. That's kind of a a tragic story, but that's the, the life of Anna, got married young, seven years married, and then her husband died. She's now a widow. She's 84 years old. She's very old. And so she's here at the temple. And as she is uh, hanging out at the temple, as apparently she had done every day, she overhears what Simeon is saying. We say, well, what is she doing at the temple? Well, according to the verses here, the Bible says that she went there every day to pray and to fast. It calls her this, a prophetess. Now, According to the text, again, it doesn't seem like Anna was like receiving revelation from God and prophesying. What it means that she was a prophetess is she was there when people would come to the temple to help them. Oh, you don't understand this. Can I explain it to you? Can I pray with you? Can, can I be a blessing to you and help you with this? She went to the temple on a daily basis just to serve and be a blessing to people. That seems to be what God had led her to do. And so in her older age, she's there. She's being a blessing to people. And here she hears this older man across the way, and he's over there making these great pronouncements. And as Anna begins to overhear this, I love her response that she takes great joy and comfort and excitement in what's being heard. And so here's what Anna does. You can read them in the verses there. The Bible says she starts to tell everybody. Anna goes, if that is the Christ, if that's the Messiah, everybody needs to know. And so Anna begins to tell everybody she can. She's already in the mode of ministering to people there at the temple. And so as she's ministering to people, did you hear? Did you hear the great news? Did you know that baby that came in? Yeah, that, that's him. And she begins to share and be encouraged and excited about all this information. So here you've got three very different characters. Three very different stories, and yet all of them come and present this very awesome truth. There was something special about that baby. Something unique about that baby. Something that was otherworldly about that baby. Well, what was it? It was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that would bring salvation, the one that would die for the sins of all of humanity. Now listen, for them, it was beyond exciting, I mean, these are people who start speaking when they couldn't speak before. This is an individual who's been waiting for years, and now he is just shouting almost and declaring as he holds this child, it's here, it's here, it's here. And then you have a bystander that overhears it that then goes around and starts to tell everybody she can. Now, for us, if you're like me, I've heard the Christmas story a bunch. I grew up in a pastor's home. You know what we did when it was Christmas Day? We would sing Christmas carols and read the Christmas story, right? I mean, it's just part of my childhood growing up. How many messages have I heard, Christmas messages? I have no idea. I mean, hundreds of them, right? Uh, you know, you, you live long enough, you're in church long enough, and you hear Christmas messages, and then you hear more Christmas messages, and you hear the Christmas story. How many times have I seen the manger reenacted? Sometimes it's pretty interesting, right? Sometimes you have little kids doing it, and you're like, I don't remember that being there in the Bible story, but you, know, you see the manger scene reenacted. Come on, if you're like me, you know the story inside and out. There's probably very little that someone could tell you about the Christmas story that you probably don't already know. Now, do we enjoy hearing it? Yeah, it's a wonderful thing tonight. That's part of the candlelight service as we read the Christmas story. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful biblical tale. But if we're honest with ourselves, it is the weirdest story in the world. (laughs) Here you have a virgin who's conceived, by all accounts disowned by her family because she's given birth in a barn and she gives birth to this firstborn child, and then these random shepherd strangers show up because angels told them they should go check it out. (laughs) She lays him in a manger wrapped up in dead people clothes. When he's two years old, these wise men from afar, which attracted the attention of the whole nation, so it was obviously some grand caravan come with gold and myrrh and frankincense, and lay it as I mean, just the whole story... It's become so commonplace, though. Why? Because we've heard it so many times. If we're not careful, the extraordinary can become ordinary if we are not careful. And I'm telling you, sometimes we hear the Christmas story and we've heard it so many times that it begins to lose its wonder. I think that we should have much the same response as these three older individuals did when their very first Christmas came. Regardless of your age this morning, and if this is your first or your 92nd Christmas, right? As the song says, never lose the wonder of the Christmas story. I mean, this is a bit of a lengthy read, but I think it's worthwhile. So don't tune out because I'm about to read something, okay? Paul David Tripp in his book wrote this. Familiarity often does bad things to us. Often when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them For granted. When we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often, when we are familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we are familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. And here's what's important about this what has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way that we live. Let me give you an example pretend that you have moved to a new neighborhood the first morning when you go out for a walk with your dog you happen upon a beautiful park rose garden although fido is yanking on his leash you just stand there blown away at the display of early morning beauty that is before you you can't wait to get home to tell your family what you discovered And you're excited about taking them there to see it too soon. But as you walk by that garden, day after day, something happens to you. Within a few weeks, you walk by without stopping. And in a few months, you don't even notice the roses anymore. Familiarity has done this to you. What you once celebrated, you now don't even notice Sadly, many of us aren't gripped by the stunningly magnificent events and truths of the birth of Jesus anymore. Sadly, many of us are no longer gripped by wonder as we consider what this story tells us about the character and plan of our God. Sadly, many of us are no longer humbled by what the incarnation of Jesus tells us about ourselves. We walk by the garden of the incarnation but we don't see the roses of grace anymore. Our eyes have gone lazy, and our hearts have grown cold. I'm telling you, there's something magnificent about, this isn't just a beautiful picture of a baby in a manger that just comes out with all the other Christmas decorations. And as much as I love Christmas food and Christmas decorations and Christmas lights and presents, and Christmas songs, they all pale in comparison to the true meaning of Christmas, which is that of Jesus Christ. Amen. The beauty of that manger scene, and I'm going to tell you this, church, if we get o- ever get over our salvation, if we ever get over grace, if we ever get over what Jesus did for us, we are in trouble. Amen. As a church, let us never forget the wonder of what our God has done for us, that we who were lost, filthy sinners deserving of nothing better than hell, had a God who loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to be born in this sin-cursed, scarred, broken world so that He might die to redeem us. Isn't it no wonder Jesus wasn't just brought down at 30 some odd years old and came a week later died on the cross and you know, He had to live the life, didn't He? He was here for those 33 and a half years, never once sinned, perfect in every way, and then went to the cross to die for our sins. And there on the cross, what was that final statement? It is finished. The manger scene is not just a beautiful picture of his birth. It's imagery of his death. And I hope every time you see the manger scene, you're reminded of this, mercy, grace, forgiveness, God's love towards man, that he would send his son Maybe you've had Christmas so many times that it's just become commonplace. Can I encourage you today and tomorrow, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, if you, even tonight, if you come to the candlelight service tonight, we're going to read through the Christmas story. Don't let it be commonplace. The rose garden didn't become any less beautiful. You just quit noticing it. Amen. God's love for you never diminished. Maybe it is you you've just quit noticing it like you once did. He still loves you. The beauty of this salvation story is just as wonderful as it ever it has. So whether it's Christmas 1 or Christmas 92 (laughs) or beyond, stop this Christmas season and act like these older folk did in this story, like it's your very first time hearing it, the joy and excitement of the Christmas story. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.